Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm the managing partner of Bradyware Arpeggio, a data-driven management consultancy which brings clarity to owners and managers of unique businesses facing unique strategic decisions. Our parent, Brady Ware & Company, is sponsoring this podcast. Brady Ware is a public accounting firm with offices in Dayton, Ohio, Alpharetta, Georgia, Columbus, Ohio, and and Richmond, Indiana. If you would like to engage with me on my uh, social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also host a LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck, so please join that as well if you would like to engage. Today's topic is, should I integrate cryptocurrency into my business? And um, this is a topic I've wanted to do for a while. Haven't really been able to sync up with the right guests who I just thought would give us a great uh, and in-depth perspective on it. Um, And and we can sort of make schedules sync up. And uh, I feel almost apologetic about that because this is a topic that's long overdue. But that having been said, um, I think the timing is actually propitious. Um, cryptocurrency has always, of course, been a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, but and right now, as of late, cryptocurrencies, I think, in a way that's surprising to me anyway, are have been uh, have been retrenching uh, quite a bit over the last several weeks. Which, which frankly, I find surprising, which probably reflects my own ignorance of the, of the dynamics of cryptocurrency. I would have, I would have bet a couple of months' mortgage that cryptocurrencies would have become stronger after the Russian attack on Ukraine and and ensuing financial sanctions. That I think would have motivated a lot more activity to circumvent uh, conventional and national banking systems. Um, and maybe that is happening, but not enough to overcome other forces that are at play here. So uh, because of what's going on in the crypto markets, I think this is as really, really as well-timed uh, a topic as any to, uh, to talk about this. And I hope that you'll agree. I think it's also important because um, I think everybody by now has heard the word or term cryptocurrency. They've heard of Bitcoin. Um, but it really is remarkable how few people actually know uh, what it is. Um, uh, as it happens, I happen to do a lot of work in the cryptocurrency e-wallet exchange space, some work with crypto miners um, and valuing or appraising their businesses. But many of my peers really still don't have any idea how cryptocurrency works, why, what the value proposition is, et cetera. And, and I think that that, I don't think they're an outlier. I think there are a lot of people that still need to be educated and if you're one of those people, I think you're going to find this a, a very good use of your next 45 minutes or so. And so joining us today to help us out with this topic, uh, who is an expert, because I'm not, is Darren Hebold, who is founder and CEO of the Lux Companies, which offer specialized asset management services for commercial real estate together with financial asset management of cryptocurrency. Um He has cultivated a broad reputation of trust within the industry and community, given his command of confidentiality, fiduciary duty, and financial skills, and the handling of high-value commercial real estate and digital assets. After getting financially thrashed, his words, by the Great Recession in 2008 and 9, and closely studying the U.S. central bank and government responses, he began seriously questioning the composition, integrity, and sustainability of our financial system, which at its core includes a central bank that is privately owned, centralized, and granted the right to unlimited emission of new currency at their sole discretion. After critical analysis, research, and discussions with friends, he stumbled upon Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. Seeing and participating in the extraordinary freedom-enabling benefits of this new parallel financial system, 
Together with its technological superiority, he founded Luxalo Financial to broadly deliver cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology benefits to individuals and small businesses alike for everyday use in commerce. Uh, Darren, welcome to the Decision Vision Podcast. Thank you, Mike, and great uh, intro. I appreciate that. So, as I said in my opening, you know, a lot of people listening to this, I think at this point, don't want to admit it. So what we're going to do is we're not going to crypto shame people and we're going to let people uh, address their, their lack of knowledge in a safe space, the privacy of their own headphones, their own car, whatever it is they're listening to. What, what is cryptocurrency and, and, and how does cryptocurrency come about? Great. Yeah. And let's, and we'll keep it real simple to begin with, and then we'll branch out. So, uh, so uh, a Bitcoin, what is a Bitcoin? It's, it's electronic money. Uh, it is a peer-to-peer payment system. Uh, it's a store of value. It's a, um, it's a, it's a new financial system. It's, it's many things. Uh, and, and ticks many boxes. And uh, this is something that we saw come out of the ashes of the last financial collapse um, uh, after 08. Uh, you know, I think it was January 2009, the group Satoshi Nakamoto uh, officially released Bitcoin. And, you know, the, it's just been branching out since then. Uh, I just wonder where we start, maybe Mike, to keep it simple. I, I think. Um, uh, well, I, I think get- I think what people I think what the, I mean, the question I'm asked a lot and I probably give a barely adequate answer is how is cryptocurrency created? Right. We know about we know about crypto miners. Most people have never seen a crypto mining rig. They don't understand why people are buying gamer PC gamer hardware to create this this virtual or cyber currency. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Why? How does cryptocurrency get created, and why does that translate into a fungible value? Yes, yeah, and and how is that? Yes, how is that valuable, and why do people recognize that? Okay, great place. Okay, so not all cryptocurrencies are created equal. So Bitcoin was the very first one, and since then, I think literally there's over seventeen thousand cryptos out there. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just insane. And frankly, it's a little bit of a junkyard out there. And I think we in the industry would probably agree that you could probably count literally on maybe one hand how many of those 17,000 cryptos could be, you know, reasonably considered money. Um, The balance of them have other uses and utilities for smart contracts and for uh, programming and for other, you know, functions, but probably aren't considered money. Uh, Bitcoin's clearly uh, the winner as far as recognition and global adoption where people say, yeah, that's money and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it as such and treat it as such. Um, so it's unique because uh, it requires a great expenditure of electricity to print or mint or mine, I guess we would call it a Bitcoin. So um, if you or I wanted to do it, we could do it tomorrow. You, you pop online and, you know, for several thousand dollars is an entry level mining machine and you don't need any real skills. You, it's a plug and play device. You plug it into your electricity and it juices <laughs> your, your bill goes through the roof and you start printing or mining Bitcoin rewards right away. Uh, so anybody can do it. Um, it just uh, it just costs a lot of money, and you know we can talk about it later. We'll unpack it, but that the cost to mine one Bitcoin sort of sets the floor for the price because it's many thousands of dollars to mine one Bitcoin. Whereas some of these other cryptocurrencies involve what's called pre-mining or uh, you know really just pressing a button and ten billion units of some certain token appear. And so there's not a lot of intrinsic value in those projects. And the market determines that, you know, no, no one person points and, and decrees which cryptos have value. The market decides, which I love. I love Mr. Market. And the market says, uh-uh-uh, That's, that coin was, uh, was pre-mined and it's proof of stake. And I could create another one of those tomorrow morning. 
that doesn't have much value to me. That's why that's trading for a penny. Uh, whereas a Bitcoin is trading for, you know, thirty, $30,000 these days. And, and, and what is the guts of how mining happens? Is it, is it, is it solving equations? Is it random number generations or something else? I mean, how does that, and I understand we're limited to Bitcoin, but I think Ethereum kind of works the same way. You can still right. mine Ethereum and maybe Dogecoin and others. Um, how, how does that work that it proves that there's, a, there's an algorithm that effectively proves that you have produced somehow a piece of cryptocurrency? Sure, sure. I'll keep it simple. So uh, Bitcoin was the first birth of a blockchain. And a blockchain simply means that um, there is a public ledger that everybody can pop online and view. And it just shows that I gave today here on May 18th, I gave Mike one Bitcoin from this wallet to that wallet, and that gets codified into a ledger. And what the mining does is it um, proves that uh, the, the, the mining network of all the global miners um, performs calculations and proves cryptographically that, yep, Darren's wallet gave Mike's wallet one Bitcoin on said date and time. It's indisputable. It's immutable, meaning nobody can go back in time and change it. It's auditable and everybody agrees that it happened. So it's it's a very crucial, it sounds trivial just to prove that I gave you money, but how else do we, uh, uh, how else does a financial system work without a, um, a ledger that everybody can agree on? And mining is the way to secure that. And so the, the people that have these rigs and spend not just thousands, but I mean, there's industrial scale mining facilities where people have invested $300 million, as you probably know, and they, uh, they get paid uh, to run those machines in the form of Bitcoin rewards. So they run these machines and then periodically over time, every 10 minutes, actually, the Bitcoin network kicks out uh, some Bitcoin rewards to the miner who successfully hashed that particular transaction. And there's an even distribution. So everybody gets their fair share of the Bitcoin rewards, everybody who's mining. Okay. <clears throat> now, the num- I have to admit, um, and I'm, I'm supposed to know this, but I didn't. 17,000 different cryptocurrencies, right? And most people do well if they can name one or more than one. How, how do they differ? You know, we think of currencies, of course, national currency, the euro, the dollar, the yen, et cetera. But how, how, how do 17,000 different cryptocurrencies differentiate? And how do you decide which one or ones is a business you want to trade in or deal in? Yeah, it's a great question. Okay. I I would say just broadly, I would call them coins and tokens is kind of what the uh, industry has settled upon. Um, Coins generally refer to if something can be uh, identified as money. And again, I think there's probably five, maybe 10 tops that people would agree are coins slash money. All the other ones are considered tokens and they each have their own separate blockchain. Uh, again, they're usually all free to use. Anybody, nobody owns them. Anybody can use them for the most part. And they just have different utilities, Mike. So, for example, uh, Ethereum is a smart contract platform. It kind of straddles the fence. It's the one unique one where Ethereum is kind of considered money right now and it's trading for $2,000 per per coin, but then simultaneously, it's a, it's a smart contract platform where you can program your Ethereum or your other tokens to do things that you want them to do. So you can mirror legal contracts with a smart contract on a, on a blockchain. So that's a, that's a huge, huge, you know, use case uh, out there for crypto is um, programmable money. And so imagine every legal contract where a, a tenant has to pay a landlord, uh, a supplier gets paid by a, a, a corporation, um, an employee gets paid by an employer. All these can get codified into a, into a smart contract and really you know, greatly simplify accounting, bookkeeping, auditing, uh, payroll, 
any number of industries are going to be certainly disintermediated by this. So we we talked a little bit about this in your intro, but I'd really like to get your in-depth take on this because I think it's really important. And that is why has cryptocurrency, a currency that was invented now less than 15 years ago, why has cryptocurrency found the market and the traction that it has? I mean, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetimes, have we? It's a, it's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. We have not seen new money, uh, God, in centuries, right? I mean, way back, there was several forms of money, coffee beans, uh, large stones, uh, wampum, uh, you know, uh, parcels of real estate. Uh, you could probably right. name more, but uh, no, we have not seen new money in a while. We've just been kind of going along with gold and silver uh, up until it was made illegal by by governments of the world who uh, that did not fit their narrative, and they wanted to introduce uh, central bank fiat, you know, debt currencies, and they have successfully run with that for quite some time now, but. Um, but look what's happening. Maybe they didn't do such a great job. We we had a great run with fiat currencies, but if you pop on to IMF.org right now, it's nothing short of a death procession of every single fiat currency out there that are experiencing hyperinflation as we speak. So uh, central banks invented these currencies and then they got themselves into a pickle when they started printing more and more and more, uh, almost without discretion. And in the last two years alone, you know, the U.S. dollar um, has printed 40 percent of the dollars in circulation were printed, meaning the central bank in the U.S. pressed a button and and dollars, electronic dollars came out. And that comes with consequences, you know. Um, So even our beloved dollar is now eight and a half plus percent inflation and so circling back to your question, the reason that we need to consider new forms of money is people are getting eaten alive with the fiat currencies that are uh, tanking in value. You know, uh, Turkey, 54% inflation. If you have $1,000 in your bank account, um, you know, by Christmas, it'll be, it'll be uh, half of that. You know, I mean, that's that's catastrophic. I mean, can you imagine uh, that? So we are uh, we and citizens in different countries in the world that have been forced to use fiat currencies are, are being forced to come up with alternatives. And, you know, I think Bitcoin ticks a lot of boxes there. Uh, it's, I um yeah. earlier in my life, I actually did live in a hyper inflationary environment. I lived in um, uh, Belarus and Ukraine shortly after the fall of the Berlin Wall. They were struggling to launch their own currencies is, you know, the, the, their currency just died, right? The Soviet ruble was just gone overnight. And um, uh, the last time that I was over there in any, for any length of time, the exchanger was 200,000 Belarusian rubles to the dollar and about 80,000, the currency even existing where it used to be called the Karbovinets, 80,000 of them to the dollar. And, and I remember, I remember paying for lunch with bags of money and, the server would have to come over with one of those banknote counters to make sure that I paid the correct amount. And it was just so chaotic because the, you know, the prices couldn't even keep up. You, you know, you, you see a Snickers bar that would be for sale in the morning for 3000 rubles. You come down and the end of the, at the end of the day, it'd be 7,000. It was, it was crazy. And I wonder if cryptocurrency could have, could have helped those economies achieve some stability back then. Interesting. Well, I'll tell you another thing that's important is 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 just governance. So the I think the re, part of the reason Bitcoin has floated to the top is uh, is just that there's only ever going to be 21 million bitcoins. That is huge. So so we're controlling. We collectively, all the miners, have signaled that we want a cap on Bitcoin, and that tends to preserve its value. Whereas governments have unlimited emission. So. So we've got to have governance in place to um, govern emission, you know, use, just just kind of equity uh, and uh, uh, the fact that it cannot be censored or or or, uh, or or revised or reversed. All these are important things, and and uh, if we can keep those favorable attributes in place, which they are for Bitcoin specifically, 
then absolutely. It's a great use case. You know, you touched on Belarus and Russia. Let me just read you something here. Um, granted, this statement's a couple of weeks old, but, you know, with the advent of um, Russia being internationally sanctioned, where people cannot bank with any Russian, not just the, the prime minister of Russia or the 2000 oligarchs who have been tagged as being criminals, but everybody in Russia is being equally penalized. Uh, here's a statement here from Crypto Slate magazine. Russian citizens are justifiably fearing the seizure of their retail deposits and naturally want to protect their capital. Purchasing digital assets is an effective means by which ordinary citizens can move savings out of the financial system in order to preserve capital. What a powerful statement. I mean, that is quite a use case. Uh, If I've ever heard one, you know, another one was um, the Canadian truckers who (laughs) did not break any law, were never convicted of a crime, but their banks froze their accounts just politically. They just didn't appreciate truckers driving around talking about freedom. That's a threat. So they froze bank accounts left and right, and citizens were left without legal recourse um, other than accepting donations via cryptocurrencies. So another use case. Um, I guess more and more we're seeing that it's become cool for governments to become tyrannical, sort of take matters into their own hands including uh, their central bank money policies. And it's really not funny to the average person who has worked their whole life to establish some savings and is starting to see it just melt away via inflation and, and such. So a, a, a key feature of cryptocurrency, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, is that there is no king or queen of Bitcoin. There is no Bitcoin chairperson there is no czar it it's just out there right and it's it's self-regulating self-trading and and that's it that's it no one owns it everyone can use it exactly and it is literally free uh you can be a dirt farmer in in a in a in a foreign country and you can download a wallet and begin using it immediately and no one can stop you or ask you what you're doing or why and uh that's just fantastic. There's no intermediaries too, you know, our, um, it's direct peer-to-peer payments. Um, are, are you familiar with, uh, with FATCA, the new, the relatively new regulation about disclosing international payments? I forget. It's an acronym for something. I forget what it's called, but you probably don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that driving cryptocurrency too? Cause man, what a pain, yeah. what a pain that regulation is not, not that it costs that much, but the burden of complying with that paperwork, I've, I've, I've ridden shotgun with people that are doing it when they're buying or selling businesses, transferring assets. It is a monster. You know, the, the notion of borders literally becomes foolish when you start working in cryptocurrency. You say, yeah. uh, why, why do I have to stop, get frisked, hassled, taxed? chipped and tracked just because I want to give Mike some money because he's over that border over there, be it a federal, uh, federal state or international border. It just, it's silly. And there's very few instances when I think it's a legitimate hassle, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, if there are people that are going to violate laws and it, no matter what type of money is in use at the contemporary time, yeah, certain number of people are going to violate laws, but um, uh, just the fact that um, I'm sending money over a border, I, I'm not sure how that entitles all all manner of authorities to hassle me and possibly censor and resist my transaction. Um, yeah, and, and for those of you scoring at home, FATCA, FATCA stands for Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act. Sorry, I didn't have that prepared. That was uh, an off-the-cuff question I thought of. Um, but uh, take a look at it. It's it is um, it is it is burdensome. Um, whether you agree with it or not, I don't think anybody disagrees that it's it's burdensome. So, Darren, you know this is a business podcast. What is the killer app for a business person to start using or expand the use of cryptocurrency in in their business? 
Great. Awesome question. Let's get right to it. So, okay. So here we are. Uh, we're 12 years into Bitcoin. There's two killer apps right now for business and I'm using them both. Okay. First one is hold Bitcoin specifically on your balance sheet uh, of your business. Okay. That serves several purposes. Um, first of all, it's, uh, it's, it's ballast on your balance sheet. It's owner's equity that you can carry um, uh, uh, short, medium, or long-term uh, as, uh, as just uh, additional equity within your company that tends to grow over time. I mean, uh, if you look at the long haul, it generally is going to appreciate over time uh, passively without doing anything. Uh, the second thing you can do with that Bitcoin or balance sheet is its lending collateral. So we uh, and and your listeners out there can become your own bank. So you can post uh, for every Bitcoin you post. Um, well, let me back up. Okay, so you're holding you're holding a tranche of Bitcoins on your corporate balance sheet. Those are Bitcoins. You say, okay, great, but I need USD to operate my business. I need some working capital. I need a revolving line of credit. You usually go to the bank to get that. Now, crypto banks have emerged where they say, hey, Mike, post your Bitcoins with us as collateral and we'll give you up to a 50% loan in US dollars that you can use for whatever purpose you want. You don't need underwriting. It's just simply a balance sheet loan. And we can uh, we can offer you a very competitive interest rate of about 4.95%. How's that sound to you? Oh, it sounds fantastic to me. And I use it all the time. So we've taken um, a portion of our corporate treasury and, uh, and posted as collateral in some of these trusted crypto banks who have lent us US dollars that we can use for, uh, for working capital. It's a fantastic instrument. And what happens is, as time goes on, um, the value of my collateral goes up. And we say to ourselves, I look at my partner and we say, all right, you know what? Let's retire that loan and go get a new 50% loan based on an increased value of our Bitcoins um, that we own. So that's the first killer use for businesses, Mike. And the second right. one, um, we haven't mentioned this phrase yet, but one uh, cryptocurrency that we believe in is USDC. USDC is uh, issued by Circle Financial in Boston. It is a digital version of a dollar. It's pegged one-to-one -one with the dollar with audited reserves. Uh, and what you can do with that digital dollar is go to the same crypto banks that I was describing and earn a meaningful interest rate. So the savings account is back. You know, I mean, the last time... When's the last time we were getting four, five, six, seven percent uh, interest rate in a bank account? Perhaps the early nineties. Ages ago. <laughs> Ages ago, and it, now it's gone. Now it's a fraction of one percent, and with inflation, you lose. So now you can um, take your uh, take your U.S. dollars, convert them to USDC, which we believe is the forerunner of stable coins and post them um, on deposit with these crypto banks and earn something in that range that I just said, four to 7% is kind of the prevailing rate. And you say, wow, how can they afford to pay depositors that much? That's, that's fantastic. I mean, <clears throat> how can they do that? Um, they're a lender, you know, so they turn around and lend that money out at, with about a 2% spread. Um, and then you say, well, how's that interest rate compute? Because a minute ago, you said you're a borrower at about 5%. And then on the other hand, you're a lender at about 6 or 7%. Well, the way they work it is, is small LTVs. So internal to their banks, they're only lending out a very small percentage of their assets that they're holding as collateral. And uh, additionally, when you... Um, when you post collateral, you're, you're no longer earning interest. So they're only paying interest on a very small percentage of the uh, assets they're holding in custody. That's how the, the math works out for them. But those are the two killer apps that I can bring to you guys today. Uh, there's going to be many more. Uh, and we can unpack those if you'd like. 
one I've thought about, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I wonder if international payment settlement would also be a killer app because, you know, moving money in between countries is still amazingly enough, a seven to 10 day exercise. Um, and that's, that's just too long. Agreed. And I'm almost out of school in saying this, but I, I think this probably addresses your question. Um, I believe BRICS, uh, the, the BRICS consortium of Brazil, Russia, India, China, I believe when they conduct their international trade, they're settling in gold, I believe, right? Hmm. I don't know if it's physical or if it's uh, promissory notes of gold, but um, but yeah, think think about that. If they could settle in Bitcoin, you know, you can send $20 billion and it costs you a mining fee of a just over a dollar right now. So it's just a fantastic uh, medium uh, of exchange in that regard. And uh, again, yes, borderless to your, to your point. And uh, you don't have to gain permission. Uh, it's entirely up to the sender and the recipient to conduct their business as they will. So I think that's a great use case. Um, you're also going to see Bitcoin um, perhaps before you see it as an international settlement device, you're going to see it um, right now. It's an individual settlement. You gave me a car. I gave you a Bitcoin. Then you're going to see it as an intercorporate settlement. I owe you $5 million. So I'm going to settle in Bitcoin. Then you're going to see it um, governmental and then international. So uh, it's uh, it's scaling up. It's, it's no longer a, a tool for geeks to, to trade on the on the on the web with and and nobody else cares about it. Now I know you have a background in real estate as well. So I'm curious about your view on on this question is that you know I wonder I wonder if cryptocurrency in general, Bitcoin in particular, has a role to play for real estate, especially given the velocity of transactions, right? And you know, my own personal, you know, my own personal story, you know, we're we're considering property in Portugal for retirement. Um, but properties are going as fast there, just as fast as they are here, right? Telling somebody, hey, you know, I want to buy the house, but you got to wait seven to 10 days before the money shows up. You're going to lose real estate opportunities if you have to wait that long for the money to show up. Yeah, you got it. So, so boy, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of boxes that, that crypto ticks as far as real estate transactions. Uh, so where do we start? Let's see. Um, uh, I guess, I guess I would start by saying, yeah, it's it's very fluid and liquid. There is no, um, you know, if you find a property you like, you can escrow your deposit with a title company in 30 seconds. Yep. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. Boom. Um, and in the future, I think you're going to see associated with that deposit, Mike, you're going to see a smart contract replace title agencies. Oh, so yeah, sure. Like, here's a transaction. You log into a web-based console and there's, 14 steps required. And step one is, you know, sign a, sign a purchase agreement. Step two is here's the Bitcoin address for your deposit. Step three is attorneys conduct title work and upload their results, et cetera, et cetera. So there will be essentially an algorithmic title closing agency of the future. I'd love to do it. I just, you know, it's another startup I don't have time for right now. Maybe somebody else can do that. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of room. So, <laughs> so we've talked about all the, the the positives about cryptocurrency. What are the pitfalls of the risks? What 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 is somebody what is somebody thinking about deepening their relationship with crypto in their business? What do they need to be aware of? What are the potential gotchas if you're not careful? Sure, sure. Yep. Um, Okay, first of all, I would start with just like selection of of coin. Uh, you know, there's just all too few cryptocurrencies that will be around uh, five or ten years from now. So, you know, we at our exchange, when we're advising desk clients, we say, listen, just stick with you know this short list of five potential coins to put into your portfolio. So that number one would be selection. Um, and longevity. Number two, you know, everybody's very focused on the price. And right now, this it's kind of a buzzsaw. You know, the prices of all cryptos and frankly, even Wall Street and commodity assets are just all over the map. And 
there's been a big drawdown in the last six months. It's like a 35% drawdown across like all commodities and securities and cryptos in the last six months. And there's a lot of forces um, at play and not everybody wants to see Bitcoin succeed. There's just a lot of vested interests who um, would much rather that it be uninvented and go back where it came from because they like earning 3% transaction fees. They like having unlimited central bank fiat emissions. They like having total control over everybody's movements. (laughs) So, uh, and there's instruments to bring cryptos down, like derivatives and shorting. And so there's that. And then thirdly, I would say um, storage. So the beauty of cryptocurrency is, is uh, one, one piece we haven't touched on is just cu- custody. You no longer have to place your money in custody with someone else. You can engage in 100% self-custody, meaning you hold your wallet. Uh, or you can do what we have chosen after four years of careful planning, which is collaborative custody, which is Mike holds a key and our firm Luxolo Financial holds the other key. And then we send you home with a backup key. So you hold two of three keys to your crypto wallet and we hold one. And unless there's unanimous consent across the key holders, no money can leave the wallet. So it's a fantastic method of um, uh, enjoying the beauty of self-custody, but also having someone holding your hand so you don't lose your shirt when you forget your passcode or your, your private key. So uh, not having a custodian is, is a very, very large um, advantage, particularly today when we're seeing banks and governments again, go tyrannical and just decide that we're going to, you know, seize your assets. If, if, if I've got time, I'll read you one other thing. Um, there's a very large online exchange that I'm sure we've all heard of, and they just released in their latest 10Q SEC filing the following statement. Because custodially held crypto assets may be considered to be the property of a bankruptcy estate, In the event of bankruptcy, the crypto assets we hold in custody on behalf of you, our customer, could be subject to bankruptcy proceedings, and such customers could be treated as general unsecured creditors. Wow. Think about that. That is called a bail-in, if you guys aren't familiar with it. That's when a a bank or company becomes insolvent due to a run on withdrawals, and they say, well... We got to take 40% of your Bitcoins and you can probably have the rest. So uh, unbelievable that that's uh, a statement made by a publicly traded (laughs) cryptocurrency exchange. We might take your Bitcoins if we run into trouble. So that's why you don't want custody. That is exactly why. So consider holding your crypto in your own wallets or in a collaborative custody environment. You know, you can set up your attorney or your accountant or your trustee with a key. Um, there's many ways to mirror legal frameworks with uh, the signatories on a wallet. You know, that custody question brings an idea that's half-baked and maybe it's totally stupid. So you, you can feel free to tell me that. It's just the internet. Um, and, and, and that is this, that, you know, uh, for good or ill, I do a lot of work with partnerships that are not working out and one partner is going to buy the other out and they just couldn't agree on stuff. And, and one of the, one of the issues that comes up often is simple governance, right? Who has, who has the right to sign that check? Who has the right to make a distribution? Who has the right to, to take out that loan or repay a loan, that sort of thing. And historically companies have had to give just for expediency have had to give one shareholder kind of the keys to the kingdom and hope that they obey the rules and do the right thing because trying to put two or three signatures in the same check and get everybody in the same room uh you know the, the technology is not there to do that in a very wieldy way but it occurs to me with cryptocurrency right where literally all you'd have to do is everybody just kind of put their their thumbprints in the phone to authorize a transaction or not authorize a transaction could actually be a fantastic governance tool. Absolutely. You nailed it. So you're able to take what was an informal governance plan, like the two dudes have to both sign all checks over five grand. Well, that's not enforceable. And 
it's impossible to hard to implement in practice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with cryptocurrency, you can strictly enforce all this with software. And that's how I run my company. My partner and I require unanimous consent to for all withdrawals, both fiat and crypto. And it's just a fantastic uh, 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 advent. And uh, yeah, and it, it applies not just to to businesses, Mike, but I mean, I'm just thinking of, um, yeah, real estate transactions with his lawyers, title agents, trustees, various adverse parties, you know, just things where you need an absolutely objective and bulletproof governance, you can implement that without trouble. It's built right in to the uh, Bitcoin blockchain functionality. You don't need to be a software programmer. You, it's uh, that functionality is built in. Can you think of a kind of business that shouldn't be fooling with cryptocurrency? There's somebody that, yeah, this isn't, isn't for you. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you probably, both individually and corporately, you probably have to have some risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. You probably have to have some, a longer view on your treasury assets. Um, and, uh, you know, you probably, um, you probably, uh, yeah, I'd say those two, those are the two major factors. And so for a very, very conservative uh, person or company, it, it might not, it might not tick the boxes. It might not work. Um, uh, I'd say that. And as I'm saying that though, like mass mutual insurance, one of the most conservative companies I can think of mm-hmm. uh, bought a hundred million dollars of Bitcoin to put on their balance sheet. And that news came out maybe a year and a half ago. And you can see the transaction on bitcointreasuries.org. And, you know, so I said, why would a hyper conservative insurance company do something like that? And, you know, turns out they did it to buttress some of their negative yielding bonds, actually. <laughs> so they saw it as a partial solution to uh, bolster their profitability over time. So, so I'm going to ask you to put on your, put on your, your fortune teller costume for a minute. Um, because I, I, I think, you know, the, the future of, of cryptocurrency is really interesting. And I would argue it's, it's sort of an inflection point. And, and one of the things I'd, I'd like you to opine on is, do you see cryptocurrency ultimately replacing conventional national currencies or do they find a way to coexist? Wow, that's a fantastic question. Uh, uh, look no further than Central America, which is becoming the, the, the cradle of, of, uh, of, of uh, governments adopting Bitcoin as national legal tender. And you look at the reasons for that. They are forced to either use the dollar, which is experiencing significant inflation, um, but they're not experiencing any of the benefits of like the Joe Biden airdrop monies, the cheap debt, the, uh, you know, the, the COVID rent relief checks, the PPP loan. They don't get any of those benefits, but they have to suffer the indignity of the high inflation of the dollar. And they say no more. We're, we're adopting Bitcoin in El Salvador, in Panama, in Mexico. These are This is the roster of countries uh, moving forward for that reason. And that train didn't stop at any time soon. And uh, I think you absolutely, um, you're going to see them co- coexist, much to the chagrin of the IMF, uh, who uh, comes out with heavy-handed, you know, penalizing statements each time a country decides to do this. And so that tells you it's good. That tells you that the country did the right thing by increasing their options for their citizens, um, which that makes the IMF mad when citizens have options. Well, so, Reggie Jackson was famous for saying they don't boo nobodies. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Yeah. Uh, so, so crystal ball. Yeah, you're gonna see. You're gonna see uh, it being a permissible legal tender in increasingly more countries. Uh, in in so doing that. It's no longer subject to capital gains tax in whatever country does that. Um, you're going to see uh, you're going to see uh, retailers accepting uh, cryptos. You're going to see uh, hybrid neo banks and financial service firms such as mine uh, appearing. Um, uh, legacy banks are just in no way going to adapt and build infrastructure for this. I. It's just not happening, and I don't think it is going to happen. They will, they will make desperate attempts to pay consultants to bolt things on, but I think you're going to 
see a whole new industry of neo banks, crypto banks, and crypto financial service providers such as us uh, providing all financial services in the future, including allowing you to become your own bank, your own lender. Um, you'll be able to deposit your paycheck, uh, invest in cryptos, take out a loan against those cryptos, convert back all seamlessly within one app. Some countries are <clears throat> have said that they're exploring launching digital currencies. The U.S. has talked about it. I think Sweden, to my recollection, is probably the most advanced in their thinking on this. I think they're beta testing a, an, e, an e-krona at this point. <clears throat> to, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but if you are, are those, are those in the cryptocurrency family or are they kind of something different? Stay away from central bank digital currencies. Yeah. Okay, they are a um, they're a tool of control and manipulation. Um, they're most popular among communist governments, namely People's Republic of China. Is uh, started the digital yuan program, and I can get into all of the very unfortunate, you know, attributes that uh, that, that uh, the users of that currency suffer, but. Uh, I will say this, it's not a cryptocurrency. It's a centralized database and it is not a public ledger. It is not a um, consensus-based protocol where people can democratically uh, vote and get involved. Absolutely not. It's, um, it's, it's an enhanced layer of control for central banks to administer their uh, debt-based fiat currencies. Uh, so that's my that's my stern warning against CDTs. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm talking with Darren Hebold, and the topic is: Should I integrate cryptocurrency into my business? Um, uh, keep keeping you in your fortune teller's costume. What is it? You know, I, and maybe maybe the you may or may not agree with the premise. I don't think cryptocurrency is quite mainstream yet. I think it's close, but I'm not sure I would characterize it as mainstream yet. Um, simply because I, I, you know, I can't go to Kroger yet and pay for groceries with cryptocurrency. Um, though that would be kind of cool. Um, so what do you think it's going to take? What is it? Is it just gradual adoption? Is there a, a, a day of reckoning or an inflection point? What is it going to take when, when we're going to recognize cryptocurrency as a mainstream medium of exchange and storage of wealth? Yeah, you got it. Uh, we're not far, uh, you know, uh, from uh, money requires uh, uh, adoption, uh, use, uh, portability over time and space, uh, durability, um, yeah, store of value, medium of exchange, and we are we are moving up that adoption curve rapidly. Uh, is almost a one, I think, is just over a one trillion dollar market cap of all cryptos. The vast majority of that value being Bitcoin specifically. Uh, more to the heart of your question, we in the industry believe that there could be a seminal moment coming where um, as traditional assets classes continue to burn down in value, we strongly believe there's a, uh, there's a likelihood Bitcoin could serve as, as an ultimate hedge. Now, that's uh, yet to be proven because everybody's saying that's correlated with uh, the stock market, et cetera. But we see a seminal moment when, when there is the next Lehman Brothers moment of this era. We think um, we think Bitcoin is going to play a crucial role in preserving and enhancing a value during said crisis, uh, and that might not be that far away. We got a lot of people out there talking about Lehman Brother type analogies uh, with modern day companies these days. So, if someone listening to this podcast is, is, is on board that they, they believe the thesis that like, yeah, cryptocurrency got to start doing it. How does someone get started? How do you dip your toe? How do you, how do you open the door? You got it. All right. Good question. So uh, we recommend starting small. So uh, anybody considering investing in Bitcoin, I would start with that coin. It's probably the most reliable over time. Uh, buy small amounts, uh, weekly, monthly, over time, recurring basis. You'll be able to dollar cost average in that way. You can come to an exchange either online, but you'll have to help yourself and figure it all out yourself in that regard. Or you can come to an in-person over-the-counter 
uh, concierge exchange, like uh, my firm, for example, I'm one of just a handful in the country that does this, where you can walk or phone in uh, Luxolo Financial uh, here in Portland, Maine, right on Marginal Way, uh, or phone in, and we will walk you through the process of uh, setting up a wallet uh, and funding your exchange transaction, either on a one-time or a recurring basis. And you know, uh, some of the wealthy, one of the wealthiest persons I know, <laughs> you're gonna like this. In 2016, he started buying $21 a day of Bitcoin, and he hasn't let up, and he's a millionaire right now. So, uh, you know, I think that's a pretty reasonable investment, and there's people who can afford to sink a lot more than that into it. So uh, give it a try. I think you'll be thrilled with how it functions and how it can be used as uh, collateral for lending and money for purchases and uh and there's quite a lot of good people working in the industry. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Darren, this has been a great conversation, but unfortunately we're running out of time. Uh, there are probably topics that um, our listeners would have wanted me to cover, but we didn't or wish we would have spent more time on. If somebody wants to contact you for more information about how to integrate cryptocurrency into their business, can they contact you to follow up with, with questions? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Thank you. Yes, yes. Whether it's me or one of my skillful team members, yeah, please do reach out to us with no obligation here at uh, Luxolo Financial. Uh, the website's Luxolo, L-U-X-O-L-O dot I-O. And you can either telephone us, uh, email us, or chat with us on a little chat uh, on our screen uh, website there. And we'll be happy to uh, lay out some options and see if it's a match for you. And that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Darren Hebold so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Also, check out my LinkedIn group called Unblakeable's Group That Doesn't Suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. <laughs>